Welcome to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast, where leaders share how they've created a company so incredible their employees have to tell their friends about it. And now, here's your host, Jordan Peace. Welcome back to Bragworthy Culture. Today, we get the privilege of chatting with Tammy Bjelland. Tammy is the founder and CEO of Workplaceless a training company that improves remote and hybrid team effectiveness by developing the capabilities workers, managers, and executives need to succeed in distributed environments. She has a background in higher education, publishing, ed tech, e-learning, and corporate training. So she's super committed to driving and supporting the future of work by developing people. And as you all know, at Bragworthy Culture, people are what we are all about. So Tammy, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Uh, Well, this will be fun. I I can't imagine a more relevant company than yours right now. It's pretty insane to think about actually, or a service that's more needed. So maybe tell me, tell us, uh, the listeners kind of, What brought you to this point of launching this company? Is it really based in sort of COVID and the remote transition that we've all made in the last 14 months? Or were you thinking about it prior to that? Love to hear a little bit of that story. Yeah, so we were definitely thinking about this prior to COVID. So we started in 2017, actually. And it was a result of my having worked remotely full-time since 2011 and realizing that there were no professional development resources available that were really relevant to remote employees and managers of remote employees. And so based on my experience, I did additional research and discovered that there was a definite need in the market for this type of learning experience. Mm. And um, I used my background in education, instructional design, e-learning, and filled that gap myself. Yeah. Well, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, I thought that perhaps you'd been thinking about this a long time, but there's been this giant transition, right? Where sadly, when you have a small minority of folks that in this example, were working remotely, it can be tempting and easy to just maybe ignore the fact that they don't have the same experience that the in-office folks do, or they're sort of, you know, maybe feel like outsiders. So what has it been like for you to kind of have everyone else sort of wake up and sort of realize what you've been thinking for a while, which is how do we serve these remote people? I mean, has it just been an insane transition for you and your company to see everybody start to reach out and go, help us figure this out when truly the problem's been there a long time? It has been a year. (laughs) So there's a a mix of feelings and emotions. So there's relief at realizing or seeing that other companies are finally realizing that they need to take into account the remote work experience. There's overwhelm when you think about the number of companies that need support and also the amount of work that goes into that um, because the speed with which organizations adopted remote work that did not allow for the proper time to go into considering what those policies really needed to look like. And so in our organization and other remote work advocates, we just felt a mix of emotions, mm-hmm. excitement, not you know at the, the cause of the um, right. mass adoption of remote work, but also the feeling 
really the feeling that perhaps we finally advanced past the like remote work won't work kind of mindset. But then we were very concerned and we're still concerned. um, And I think justifiably so that organizations that did not put in the resources and the effort to really think strategically about remote work, those individuals that work for those organizations, they're experiencing really negative experiences. Mm -hmm. And we're very concerned that the long-term effect of this remote work in a pandemic experience might actually be detrimental to remote work in the long-term. Yeah, Ah, interesting. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. I'd love to, if you could break down just in your training and how you work with leaders and so forth, what are some of the various subheadings, if you will, of remote work? You know, what, if I came to a, not that it works this way necessarily, but if you taught five classes, right, on this, like what would the titles of those classes be? It could be any number you want, but just trying to get an understanding, because I'd imagine some of them would occur to a leader. And some of them may not occur to them naturally, and you really have to bring it to their attention. Yeah, so our leadership program, Lead Placeless, covers Mm -hmm. seven core competency areas that are unique in that they they have very nuanced approaches to effective management. So those seven areas are culture, which I'm sure you are excited to talk about, uh, given the topic of this podcast. (laughs) So culture, communication, performance management, conflict management, vision, change management, and learning and development. So within those seven categories, remote is different because it requires so much more intentionality on the part of the leader that you need extra or additional training in addition to those fundamentals of management and leadership to make sure that you are providing the support that every single team member needs, regardless of location. Mm, That makes perfect sense. I'm curious as someone that's worked remotely for sounds like 10 years or so for you, what's the difference between working remotely, you know, when there's not a pandemic, right? Versus working remotely when, you don't have the opportunity to see friends and walk through the grocery store and just feel like you're part of society. Like, because that's a lot of us entered remote work in that context. So we've never experienced it in the normal life setting. Right. So I'd love for you to maybe break that down so that listeners who are maybe like me that are just like, I'm so tired of working remotely could understand like the, the real upside to it when you're not in the midst of all this. Yeah. So in a typical situation, when you're working remotely, you have so many more outlets for socializing and for connecting with people. um, And you're really able to leverage the true benefits of remote work. Whereas right now, we're limited in, in what we can do and the connections we can make outside of work. And in a typical remote work situation, and in an ideal or effective remote work situation, you have autonomy over your schedule. You're able to not spend too much time commuting so that you can use that time with your family, or you can use that time giving back to your community or connecting with people in your community and having those different circles. Right now, 
our only social outlets are, are, you know, people who live with us and then the people that we work with most frequently. And we're craving that human interaction. And I think people right now who are experiencing remote work and are like, I just can't wait to get back in the office. What you really can't wait for is just to like be able to see human beings. Right. Right. And, and I count myself in that category as well. Mm -hmm. Like I can't wait to like be in a restaurant and feel comfortable being in a restaurant or even going to, you know, a local benefit luncheon or dinner Mm -hmm. for, for a cause that I care about. Like there are just so many little things that, that we're craving. Mm -hmm. And because we spend most of our time working, we think that the, the cause of our suffering right now is right. remote work. And that's right. just not the, the case. Style. The, right. Yeah. Right. The cause is the restrictions that we are under right now because we want to stay safe and we want to keep each other safe. Right. And so that is just yeah. a very, very different experience. Yeah. Um, and then right now also it's probably, uh, maybe you've encountered this yourself, but it's really hard to draw a line between work and personal life yes. because <laughs> There is literally nowhere else we can go. We are just in the same place all day long. And there's no like spatial distinction between, mm. between our lives. And when you're not experiencing a pandemic, you do have those right. other opportunities to connect. And so isolation and burnout are always a concern in remote work, but because of the pandemic those concerns are just exacerbated right now. Right, right. And, and I think what you're saying is, is very much backed up by, you see all the survey data and so forth. I mean, not that it's a huge data point, but our company internally, like we, we've surveyed everybody to talk about, should we get an office? If we did, how often would you come? And like one day a week, three days a week, not a single person said five days a week. Right. Mm -hmm. So even even in the midst of doing a survey and even in the midst of like that desperation for like getting in front of other humans and having that experience that even in that context, they recognize, well, I actually don't need it all the time. You know what I mean? So so I think it just like it, it backs up the point that like it is about human interaction. It's not about an office space in particular being super valuable. It's just I just want to be around people. And these are my, these are people that I enjoy. And so I want to see them. So that, it all makes perfect sense. But I think, you know, obviously where we're going to end up and I'm, I want to get your take on this. We're going to end up with some companies going hey, we're just remote to the end of time. We're all remote. Like that's our company now. And then you've got some that just, they're going to pull everybody back in the office kind of as soon as it can be justified. And then I think I'm guessing that, and in your opinion, probably stronger than mine here, that you're going to find most companies are going to be somewhere in between. That you're going to have distribute, you can kind of like we used to, but a higher percentage of remote only folks, a much higher percentage, I, I would guess. So what are you seeing most as you're sort of coaching companies through and they're making this transition to the, uh, uh, let's hope, post-COVID life, right? Where are they headed and why are they headed in those directions? And are you necessarily always in agreement with the reasons that they're making certain decisions? So I have opinions 
have very strong <laughs> opinions about this. So Bring what up. most yeah, what most organizations are doing is they are saying they are going hybrid. Right. And my opinion is that that is not really a decision. Because mm. just saying you're going to be a mix of some remote, some not remote, right. et cetera, that's really not giving your team members any clarity, any vision about mm. why you are doing what you are doing and what is the end result going to look like. Right. People are still going to ask questions if you just say, oh, well, we're hybrid. They're going to ask if their roles are compatible with a fully remote position. You're going to have to consider how much office space you'll need to accommodate the people that do want to come into the office or that will be required to come into the office. There are just so many additional decisions that need to be made. And I am very concerned about organizations that push back against the term remote. Um, So sometimes we hear from companies saying, well, we're not remote. Like this doesn't apply to us. What you're teaching is not, doesn't apply to us because Mm. we're not remote, we're hybrid. And that is a dangerous line to draw because what we're talking about in a hybrid team is that there are individuals who are working remotely and they need to be able to know how to do that. And they need to feel confident that their team members, their managers and leadership understand how to support them and make sure that their experiences are equitable. And so that's one of my primary conversations that I have with an organization that's like, well, we're not remote. And I say, yes, you are. (laughs) Um, Yes, you are. It's just a degree. You're not, you're not fully remote and that's fine because most organizations are not. But when you just say that you're hybrid and that's not remote, you are setting yourself up to treat your remote employees differently than the way that you treat your in-office employees. And so language and coming to agreement on what that language means is really like the crucial first step. And so that's definitely people are opting for some sort of, of mix of both. And I understand, I understand the need for that. I mean, really what, what humans want um, and the research really clearly demonstrates is that employee satisfaction and employee engagement, they're improved when you have autonomy over your work, when you have, you know, choice over when and how you work. And so providing options to employees, I think is a great, like a great way to provide that autonomy, Hmm. but that comes at a price and the price is those organizations need to put in a lot more thought and effort and resources and infrastructure to make sure that those outcomes are as successful as possible. Well, you know, if I'm a listener and I'm thinking, how do I navigate the next 12 months, 36, 10 years, whatever, right? I'm probably thinking most companies are, well, I want to hang my shingle somewhere. Like I want to have some physical representation that my company exists and it's real, right? But to your point, I mean, very, very difficult to bring equity to a mm-hmm. situation where some are remote and some are in the office. I like your, I like your point about like, you're not hybrid. Like to the person that's remote, they're remote. <laughs> like, right. they, they don't care about your lingo. Like they're, they're remote. That's their experience every day. Right. So how do you, I mean, I, I want to dig into this topic because I feel like there's so many, including myself that need guidance here. How do we begin to build equity 
across mm-hmm. every employee, regardless of whether we see them in person, we never do, or we do twice a year or something like that. Yeah. So I think rethinking how work gets done and rethinking how your culture shows up on a day-to-day basis. Right. The first step for that is to think about the end result. Like how do you want your employees to feel in a year? Like when they go home after work or when they shut their office door and go into their kitchen after work? Like how do you want your employees to feel? Mm. How connected do you want them to feel to one another and to their work and to the greater purpose of the organization? And then what are the outcomes for the business that that enable the business to continue, right? So Mm -hmm. what are the metrics that are required to, to... keep that business going. Um, So starting with the outcomes first, and then moving backwards and thinking about what are the interactions? What Mm -hmm. are the work processes? What Mm -hmm. are the artifacts that demonstrate that you have achieved those business outcomes as well as those cultural outcomes? And in many cases, it's going to take rethinking like the way that you do everything and what we've seen in the past 14 months and and before that too, but really now organizations trying to recreate office-based culture. So, you know, how do we recreate the sort of organic conversations in the hallway? Right. 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 And, and trying to replicate that with certain tools. And in some ways, I think that is helpful to provide a framework right? Because you, you're, you're thinking about, okay, well, it's, it's different. So let's right. think about how we can make things a little bit the same. But I would challenge organizations to even question, you know, whether it's the hallway that is really the place to drive creative conversations, yeah. or if there's a different way to enable that. Um, hmm. So really, it's just about creating the structure. Yeah. Um, because those organic conversations, they don't happen just randomly. They happen Mm -hmm. because two people happen to be working at the same time. And because they happen to be on a break or like walking in similar or an proverbial water cooler talk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's not really about like these things are spontaneous because they're not really spontaneous. They're Mm -hmm. still within the certain confines of, of the organization. So thinking about what is the actual end result of that spontaneous conversation? Is it a connection that you didn't know that you had? Or is it an idea about a project that you are both tangentially involved in? And so what are those end results and how can Mm -hmm. you make sure that a remote employee would be able to achieve that kind of aha moment? And it's not always with a platform that allows you to interrupt people. Mm. That's what I'm, that's what we're seeing a lot of. Right. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Do, do you have any companies that you're coaching or that you're just following that you've seen kind of come up with some good ideas as we move into this? I mean, there's specific tools or policies or habits or things that you're like, you're applauding that you're excited to see as companies are figuring out this brand new way to work? 
Yeah. Well, one of the things that we are really um, pushing right now, and I think that it's very important to thinking about equitable outcomes for everybody Mm -hmm. is asynchronous communication and improving the balance of asynchronous and synchronous communication in teams. And one of the best organizations to follow when it comes to async is GitLab. And they're a fully remote organization. So some organizations might think that what they do might not apply to them 100%. However, their commitment to documentation, their commitment to transparent information and like the flow Mm. of information throughout the organization. Right is absolutely something that any organization should replicate in some way because it really does ensure that anyone, wherever they're located, whether they are in the same time zone as a manager or not, they would be able to have access to the information that they need to Hmm. get their work done as well as make connections and Hmm. access opportunities in the organization. Wow. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to find a connection and and see if I can get somebody in here. You know, that's working on on that project and thinking about, you know, the people side of things. What else did I maybe that I haven't asked you about just in terms of workplace list? Like what else is going on in your space, in your in your industry, if you will, although it's sadly a, kind of a new industry, it should should not be a new industry, but you know, like it, it's obviously booming. And what else is new that I might not be aware of, or our listeners might be surprised? A little bit challenging to take myself out of the 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 space and put my uh, the right. perspective on of of somebody who's not as familiar. So I, I mentioned that async communication, and yeah. actually that's. I think we're all more familiar with it now, thanks to, you know, 14, 15 months of remote work and remote learning. Like anyone who's a parent right now, I'm sure has heard the word asynchronous and synchronous at this point. Um, And so improving asynchronous communication practices across the organization can have incredible impact on business outcomes, as well as, you know, just managing isolation, managing burnout. So that's, that's one of the things that if somebody is newer to this field, mm-hmm. exploring that would be a really great way to, to okay. identify some things that they could do individually, as well as, as people leaders mm-hmm. to make a difference in their organization. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really helpful. I mean, I, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, you're so steeped in your own industry and you're kind of a subject matter expert in an area. It's like, I, I don't know what you don't know. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but no, I, I think for most of us, just as an outsider, for most of us, this is all so new. It's still all very, very new. And because you're simultaneously trying to figure out how do I support people remotely now? How do I try to figure out this equitable experience for the remote and the for, for some of us soon to be in office folks or, or maybe their actual experience as an individual is hybrid during the week, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some in and some out. You're trying to do all of that and then you're trying to do your normal job, right? And just keep up with kind of the best ways to go about this. So, so I think what you're doing is just so important. And, and also it's an area where I think 95% of what comes out of your mouth is going to be news to people. Um, (laughs) They really need to hear it, myself included. So just as an encouragement. So 
why don't we transition to talking about Workplaceless as an employer? And I want to hear a little bit about your own culture and your own approach to obviously remote work. And I would think that you're very much remote first organization, given your background and, and the training you do. So what kind of went into building your company culture into what it is today? Yeah. So as somebody who cares deeply about learning and talent development, I went into building our team and building our culture with that lens. So I care very much about learning and I care about the transformational power of really effective learning experiences. I believe in you know, the potential of human beings to yeah. accomplish great things and to accomplish great things together. And I also believe that you can do really great things even when you are a small team or even right. if you're just an individual. So yeah. for a couple of years, it was just me and sometimes working with independent contractors. Mm-hmm. But as I grew my team, you know, I was very intentional about working with people who, um, you know, not necessarily had the exact same values that I had, um, but really believed in the promise of remote work, hmm. believed in that potential of, of human beings to yeah. accomplish great things. And then also a true belief in the impact that people development has on, hmm. you know, individuals as well as the organization. So that was really the, the core values that I started the organization with. And we are still a tiny team, just 10 of us right now, and no immediate plans to like scale our team yeah. since the products that we deliver really are, are scalable. Mm-hmm. So we can support team sizes of tens of thousands of employees yeah. with what we're offering. And so that is also important to, to me and in and, and building the right. business that I've built because I don't. I never wanted to build a business that would lead to people to be continuously overworked and building the products and delivering the programs that we deliver. I have very intentionally wanted to, to focus on, on things that we could scale without having to bring on too many more people. Um, Obviously there are some things that we deliver that, you know, if, if they do end up taking off <laughs> exponentially, yeah. we would need to grow our team. But I like working on a small team and, and, yeah. and I also really like the work-life balance and integration mm-hmm. that I've achieved. And I mm-hmm. don't really have any intent to work myself to the bone. Yeah, I think that's so, I think that's so important. And I'd imagine that a, a lot of people listening you know, they're from like all different size organizations. And I think a lot of startup founders like me and so forth, hopefully listening. And I think it's so important. What you just said is so important about like what you want out of your business and like being really clear on that, because I think there's a lot of pressure to just like grow, 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 you know, like at all costs, no matter what you have to do, just raise money, work 16 hours a day and just do everything you can to you know, knock down the competition and so forth. And it's yeah. like, but that is that even really what I want out of this company? So I think that's, I think that's super important. And that applies obviously to your culture, right? Mm-hmm. Like what do we as an organization want to accomplish? Not what should we want because society thinks that that's the best way to go about it, but what do we actually want? And let's build a culture around that. 
And for you, it sounded like learning and people development is one of those things. So this is totally selfish. I just want to get some advice from you. We recently did a survey for great places to work and, you know, passed with flying colors and everybody was like really happy with our company. And I, you know, I was really proud of that, but like the one place that we got a little dinged, you know, was like, learning and development resources. So I'd love just to get your advice. And maybe I'm not the only CEO out there that got a little dinged on his last survey or her last survey. Talk me through like, how do you go about developing people and what's what's your strategy and your mindset for that? Yeah. So there's so many ways that we could approach this, but yeah. I think one, one thing to think about is, you know, there's some trends in learning and development going away from a centralized learning and development function and then mm-hmm. going back to centralized. So like, <laughs> and, and I think that that actually really captures my best advice, which is to have a mix of both. So okay. have a core strategy and initiative for learning and development for team members, but also leave that those learning and development needs um, and initiatives up to either individuals, if Mm. depending on the size of the organization or departments as well. So giving autonomy to individuals to identify like what they would like to work on managers to identify some of those skill sets that, that their direct reports might need to work on as well as, you know, on a department level, giving resources. And, you know, often that means personnel um, to help, to help design learning interventions that can help um, or identify, you know, depending Hmm. on, on the size of the organization, it's likely a mix of both, right? You can build things in house, but you know, especially for content or for topics that people have developed content for, you know, there's no need to reinvent the wheel, like things exist, you know, and are are proven to have an impact Mm -hmm. on on people and their skills and and behaviors. But you need at least somebody to think about what what is the best mix for the organization. So, you know, we work with all sorts, all sizes of organizations and some, you know, typically the smaller startups, they don't have an L&D function yet. And they don't really have anybody that thinks about people development. And so I, I would challenge CEOs of organizations of any size to, if they don't have anyone, then they are the L&D function. (laughs) Um, And, and leverage the resources that already exist out Mm. there. I I do know as a CEO, I I tend to do this myself where I'm like, I have to do everything myself. Right. And even though the decisions definitely end with me, like I am the decision maker for many things, that doesn't mean I have to create everything from scratch. Mm. So thinking about L&D as you are the L&D decision maker, but you don't have to create everything on your own. In fact, it's a better use of your time and resources right. to source those learning experiences or, that are going to deliver the mm. results that you need. Yeah. Well, that, that's a comfort. <laughs> that's a, like, a, I appreciate that advice. To continue with kind of your culture, how you built that, these 10 folks that you've added, I mean, you've gone from, from you to you know, like a team. And mm-hmm. that's a big change from like, I, I'm doing this, I'm doing everything, right? To now I've got folks that like 
they've got hopes and dreams and they've got their own values and they want to feel like their work is important and it is important, right? What was that like for you and how much of that culture was prescribed, you know, where it's just like, hey, this is what we value and like, are you in or out? And how much of that was discovered where you brought these people in and you sort of felt out over time who they were, what mattered to them, and you sort of developed an identity over time? I think it was definitely a mix. I don't know if, so when I first started and brought, brought people on, I definitely started with those values that I shared. You know, I am very vocal about my belief in learning. And so that in in talking about the mission and talking about the organization and and talking about me, that brought up conversations about whether people agreed with that or Mm -hmm. whether they had things to add to that, or even if they differed differed on maybe some of the, like the finer points of it, but, you know, having a conversation, having a discussion about, about those initial values, I think that was the first step, I think, in, in creating the organization, because when you are just working by yourself, you can imagine like what you want the workplace culture to be, but, Mm -hmm. you know, until you start adding actual human beings with like their own needs and work styles. Like there were just a lot of things that I was not really thinking about. Well, I wasn't really thinking about in a way that was like helpful to others. And I'll give the example of like caregivers, for instance, like I am not a parent, so I do not have the, you know, the constraints on my time and availability that caregivers have. And we were always like flexible and scheduling and and wanting to accommodate parents. But, you know, until we actually, until I actually started working with parents who like of younger children and older children, like I was actually learning the needs, you know, the different needs of like a family with multiple kids who have to go to sports practice, like all the time, you know, there were just (laughs) things that I was thinking about just at a high level. And then realizing after working with, like my team members that, um, oh, we need a little bit more clarity about like, what does flexibility mean? And, and all of that, because you just want to be as transparent and and clear as possible to actually let people take advantage of the benefits of remote work. Yeah. I mean, it kind of speaks to this pursuit of equity, mm-hmm. you know, like not only from like virtual versus in office, but just even down to like the individual, like this person has two older kids, they have three younger kids, this person has nap times to deal with, like this person's caring for their elderly parent or grandparent, like mm-hmm. it's just so many there's so much variety of what people could need, which really speaks to the value of, re- uh, of remote work in the first place, yeah. right? Being able to be available to the people in your lives that you care about throughout the day and, and at different times and sort of that flexibility. And, and what's cool, I think, and, and there's nothing great, there's nothing good about a pandemic, but there are outcomes that have yeah. been good. And I think one of those is this empathy that, that we've built potentially for one another, for the people that work work for us and with us, et cetera, that we understand, not that we didn't, but we understand more fully, you've got a lot more going on in your life than just working at this company, right? And I, and I need to show, you know, some empathy and some grace and some understanding of that, right? And, and provide support. And, and you know, I, I wonder for you, how has that experience 
change the way and as we'll sort of finish here because I, I need to I need to be respectful of your time but how has that changed the way that you coach like how, how has that changed the way that you talk to leaders and that you you tee them up for success in their organizations now that you have a, a more intimate understanding of what their people are going through mm-hmm. yeah I think one of the things that we noticed even early on in the in the pandemic and which was kind of was a relief really was just that most of the organizations that were coming to us that we were talking to were deeply concerned about the well-being of their team members. And mm-hmm. so I, I felt relief when, mm-hmm. you know, in every conversation mm-hmm. when the primary concern of, of leaders that would come to us would be, you know, burnout, isolation. That still continues to be a huge concern right now. Yeah. So that is one of the things that I think was really just a nice reminder that even though like decision makers and businesses, like they, they need to care about more numbers based outcomes, but they also are humans too. And, you know, we're all capable of caring about one another. And so that was definitely, you know, one thing that I noticed. And then another thing, you know, as a small company, I will share with you that I'm a little bit of a hypochondriac. So, you know, you add a pandemic onto things and, and there was a lot of anxiety over here right. and sure. as a business owner. So my husband and I were, were co-owners of the business, right. but you know, I was very concerned, like what happens to me? Like what happens to the team? Like if, if one of us gets sick and is unable to work. And so we actually, and that was not really something that I had, given much thought to, like I had not really thought about like a continuity plan. And so that was, that was a wake up call for us. So we actually developed Mm. a a continuity plan um, with some really clear guidelines about like, this is what happens if so-and-so gets sick. And this is who makes decisions for each of these categories of decisions. And in the absence of this person, then this person makes decisions. And so having that clarity, like really helped me as a very anxious person, it helped me, you know, think about like, what are the possibilities and and also Mm -hmm. plan for the success of the business in the event of somebody getting sick. Yeah. So yeah, that was also a positive outcome of a negative situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we're still continuing to update that as well, because you also just never know when something could happen. It doesn't have to be COVID. It could be something else. And so, you know, as a small business owner that, you know, a lot of the business activities still rely on me and having that plan in place just helps me, my team members as well, because, yeah, you know, we don't want to think about those, those situations, but it helps have a plan. I lied. One more question. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious and not that you can boil everything down to a single answer, but sometimes it's helpful. I'm a CEO like yourself. We've got people on our team that I've never met in person that, and, and some that I may never meet in person. I, I hope we can. I hope we can get them to fly out every now and then or something, right? But when it comes to burnout, isolation, what can I personally do as a leader? Like, What's one thing that if I only have, which is not true, but let's say I only have 10 minutes a day mm-hmm. right, to just personally care for remote folks, how can I do it? Mm, 10 minutes. I would say give people a call mm. and either, you know, a, a personal check-in. So, um, and, and here yeah. I would suggest getting people's um, preferences. Not everyone would 
react the same way to getting a call out of the blue from their CEO, they might freak out, right? right? Uh-oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I would, I would maybe um, announce, you know, like that I'm, you know, going to be reaching out to people, you know, just to chat mm-hmm. um, or just right. to get to know people. And then if somebody really just hates talking on the phone, you could just do quick Slack interaction. But I think those one-on-one check-ins are, are really important. And that would be the easiest thing too, because everyone right. knows how to do that. Right. Yeah. I love that. I mean, that's so, that's so human and like, what's going to communicate care more than the leader just saying like, Hey, I I just want to hear from you. Just want to see how you're doing, you know, no agenda, just support and care. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I love that. That's a perfect thing to end on. And in kind of an overarching lesson for the entirety, I think, of of supporting remote folks. So, well, great. Well, thank you so much, Tammy. This has been really interesting. I could talk to you for several more hours on this topic. And I think every everybody can and should, because, you know, to your point earlier, if we do it so poorly during the pandemic, right, then we're going to have the wrong impression mm-hmm. of remote work, right? Like we, we've got to do better and we've got to understand one of the things you said, we've got to understand that our desire to rush back in the office is based on our desire for human interaction, Mm -hmm. which is going to be more and more available to us as we go along here and get immunized and so forth. So, so thank you for that. You know, just that inside that little tidbit of just, Hey, let's not rush to this. Let's get this right. Let's Mm -hmm. do it the right way. And let's change the future of work for the better, not just kind of rush back to what we were doing before, because something was very much missing for the remote folks, especially. So thanks for letting me summarize there. And thank you so much again for your time. Thanks, Jordan. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in to Bragworthy Culture. Thank you to Tammy and thank you to Fringe for supporting us. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.